and welcome to Talking Who to You, a podcast dedicated to the Big Finish audio adventures of Doctor Who. My name is Kev Kozer, and I'm here with my co-host, J.G. McQuarrie. Say hi, J.G. Hey there, Kev. How's life? Well, life is fine. About as fine as these stories. Just normal and coasting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, so um, we're returning to the uh, fourth Doctor range. You could probably have guessed that from Kev's introduction, I think. Um, we're going to be covering two stories this week. So we're going to be doing the Sinestrin Kill, and we're going to be doing Planet of the Drashigs. So, um, Kev, would you care to give us a summary? Sure. Uh, the Sinestrin Kill has the Doctor meet uh, Anne Kelso, a police officer in... Uh, 20, in 1978 London as they investigate a, a shopkeeper who turns out to be an alien assassin mercenary hired by another group of aliens called the Sinestrians which influence humans and eventually body snatch them. Uh, the alien shopkeeper has testified against them and is in a sort of alien witness protection. They have to go on defending this alien Tony from the gang of Jimmy Lynch or no, Hugo Blake and his, his henchman Jimmy Lynch and all of these other people who are sort of under the thrall of the Sinestrians, and they do. And then Anne winds up joining the Doctor on his future adventures. Fantastic, thank you very much. So yeah, that's the Sinestrian kill. Um, and I want to start um, just by sort of prefacing something. Normally I just hand straight over and sort of ask you what you thought of it, but I, I kind of want to start by prefacing this sort of thing, which is just to say, I really approve of the idea of trying to do this with the fourth doctor introduce a new companion i think the one of the criticisms that i think both of us have had of of this range in the past has been that there's a real sort of tendency for it to be um really just driven by nostalgia uh, it's a very conservative kind of range there's very little um, of kind of the sort of dynamic chances that we've seen taken with, say, Evelyn's introduction or Aramem and those kind of characters coming in. So every, all the characters that um, the Fourth Doctor has met have really just been, you know, his his own companions. I, I really like the fact that this range is now sort of pushing the Fourth Doctor into the same kind of territory that the other Doctors have had, trying to introduce new companions or trying to put a new sort of spin on that era rather than just going for this sort of very conventional, you know, here's a here's a fourth Doctor story, um, you've heard it all before, which has sort of really been the thing which is, has largely dogged the fourth Doctor range. I'm prefacing our start with that comment because, <laughs> surprise, surprise, this is exactly the same, just with a new character in it. That's what my opinion is. So, um, yeah, what did you think of it, Kev? And yeah, it is same old, same old. There's nothing new in either of these stories. We'll get the plan of the Drashigs later. I mean, I mean, maybe I should have just given the summary then because it's like, there's just, we're going to have very similar talking points for both. If they're just very chock-a-block standard stories. And it is very frustrating for Big Finish, which has always been very good with new companions, I feel. Even their rare and far between misses. Characters like Kairiz or uh, was there, Amy the Graceless from that terrible Key to Time 2 trilogy. <laughs> yep. Like, they're, they're characters with a lot of interest. Like, there's a lot put into them. There's, they're really trying something with these companions. And then, yeah. of course, on the positive side, you have characters like Evelyn and Aramem. And, like, all these characters was, like, built to sort of, because they have access to a lot of other characters at the time because of actors not returning they there was sort of this invention of them and then of course eight documentaries like charlie and lucy miller are fantastic and so big finish used to have a really knack for creating these new characters and then we have ann kelso who is very boring <laughs> who might be like <laughs> that must be the most like unforgivable sin of all these companions like she's by far the most boring new big finish companion and i can't it's gonna be tricky to say it because she's not bad which almost makes it worse. Like, it, we could dig into why Kara's doesn't work over and over again, and we did. It's hard to dig into why Ellen Kelso doesn't work other than, well, Lila and Roman are just way more interesting. Well, I don't even think it's that she doesn't work. I think she functions fine 
within kind of the body of the story. Um, she's, you know, she's like the, the, the local earthling that gets caught up in the Doctor's shenanigans. She's in it for a couple of episodes. And, you know, she's she's fine as that. I, I, I You know, like the fact that she's kind of just sort of blankly accepts everything and that's in front of her and she doesn't waste time going, oh, no, it can't be aliens or, oh, no, it can't be whatever. Mm. She just kind of gets, you know, she accepts the evidence of her eyes. That's okay. That's reasonable characterization for, uh, you know, someone who's meant to be a police officer. Um, and I, I sort of, I quite liked her under sort of reaction to going into the TARDIS. It's not the usual, oh my God, it's bigger than the inside nonsense. It's just like, oh yeah, okay, that's what it is. That's, but I mean, that's a very minor point, you know, for two episodes um, as, as far as highlights go. Um, and like, she's okay, but that's it. She, it, it. There are literally hundreds of characters in Big Finish's history that are kind of like one-shot characters who are exactly the same as Anne Kelso. It just so happens that Anne left with uh, the Doctor at the end of the story and, and none of the other ones did. There's, there's just very little mm. to distinguish her. Even like other police officers who are in the Doctor's orbit, I mean, I, I mean the gold standard is set by D.I. Menzies, who we've talked about recently. And, and then that is such like a great idea of like what someone with like a very police mindset would do when encountering this sort of thing and has a lot of the same characteristics of Anne Kelso, like accepting it pretty quickly and this very sharp mind and figuring things out. And it fit the character to not want the child with the doctor and just be kind of annoyed by him intruding into her life. But yeah, Anne doesn't really have that specificity that Menzies does. And then the other obvious mayor's movie, Yaz, who is so unspecifically a cop, but at least has other things going on and we do want to see more of her. Uh, yeah, and she has a little bit of that specificity of her profession, but which is like, oh, she's smart and can figure things out. And like you said, she can be more accepting of these things because she just wants to get the job done. And but that's sort of where it begins and ends. And like, I can't really put my finger on other personality traits she has that aren't really shared by many other companions. Like she's plucky. She's adventurous. She sometimes disobeys the doctor because it will ultimately get the job done. And that's just, we see this so often. I just can't, and it feels bad because again, there's nothing wrong with the character. It's not a bad character. It doesn't annoy me in any way. And Jane Slavin's performance is good. But that's like a lot of things with both these stories. It's good. They don't annoy me or irritate me or get under my skin. It's just, what do I have to say about it? It's just very straightforward. Yeah, and that makes kind of, analyzing this story a little bit difficult because so much of it is is straightforward i think part of the problem that um that Anne kelso has as a character as far as this story is concerned is that there's two other kind of names in the cast who sort of stand out i i jane slaven we, we we were talking about this just before we started recording uh but jane slaven is uh, an actor who's just kind of been in stuff she's been in like the bill and and like a bunch of hospital dramas and stuff like that um uh, which is fine this i'm not i don't mean that as a criticism but there's nothing about her career that sort of really stands out but elsewhere we've got uh Glynis barber who's who's done plenty of stuff for big finish but of course she was also sulin in the last season of blake seven and we've got frank skinner um who is in big finish's callan series um he was in uh mummy on the orient express um and he, i i really like frank skinner's kind of performance in this he's he's kind of good at it and he's kind of as far as his doctor who kind of career is concerned he's kind of always a bridesmaid never the bride and that was particularly true in uh, mummy and the orient express which is very unfair because frank skinner is, is known to be a very big doctor who fan and he got to be in one story on the tv and then at the end of the story he's made to have his character say no doctor i don't want to travel with you but I, he probably would die in his you know die of death just to be able to get his you know his his feet in the TARDIS so it feels very cruel that was very it felt very cruel indeed and it's the same here like I would have been much more interested to see um the character he plays here DCI Scott Nielsen kind of join the doctor because he's got a kind of laconic sort of charm to him or 
there's a sort of it, it I don't know, he just imbues the character with a lot more personality than sort of Jane Slavin's able to do with Anne Kelso. And it's not completely Jane Slavin's fault because I just don't think she's been given an awful lot to work with here. There's there's definitely a sense that um that the character needs, I think, somebody with a bigger personality to bring it to life. And and the kind of the slightly down at heel, down tempo kind of approach that Frank Skinner takes to his character works quite well, and it kind of it it gives the character something that I don't think is really on the page. Whereas um, I think with uh, Jane Slavin and Anne Kelso, that doesn't really come across, and that's why I think that's why that character just comes across as very sort of generic and kind of you know could be in any story. Yeah, and. Like I said, the comparison is where Ancus really suffers when you compare it to the other two active companions in the Fourth Doctor range. And, I mean, I guess you include Sarah Jane's conversation as well. I mean, even she, with only the TV appearances, is, like, such a dynamic character. And, but then especially, you just, like, listen sort of back-to-back with The Catalyst, where Louise Jameson is giving a tour-de-force performance. <laughs> yeah. And again, no disrespect to Jane Slavin, who is fine, but... Louis Jameson and Lala Ward are consistently these top-tier performers Big Finish can trot out. And, yeah, it just feels like, I don't know, it just, that's part of the disappointment is, and, like, again, I don't think Jane Slavin is doing anything, like, she's just doing what she's written on the page. She hasn't been written anything better, so she can't actualize anything better. And it's not her fault as much as just the lack of imagination between these writers and Big Finish, uh, head honchos in conceiving the character that there's just not much to the character. It's just doesn't lend itself to needing a big grand performance. And like I said, it's just very much a character that feels very generic. And I think it's also weird to start off this box set with this story as well. Um, it's by which I mean, this is just a sort of very straightforward crime caper. And, there's no i'm not saying that every time a new character has to be introduced it has to be some you know like the whole of planet earth is under threats or you know the galaxy is going to be destroyed but you know it doesn't need to be that but it's such a low key introduction there's no great sense of drama about it the only thing that differentiates this from an episode of i don't know law and order or something is the fact that there's some aliens who use you know, um, mental influence over people. But beyond that, like, if you took that out, this could be, like, any cop show in any sort of period of time over the last 40 years or something. It's a very unremarkable story to try and launch a new character. And in a way, I can understand the logic of that because what you want to be able to do is, if you're going to, especially for a new character, for Tom Baker's Doctor, of all Doctors, Tom Baker's Doctor is the one where it's going to be easy for somebody to be overshadowed, a new character to be overshadowed, because Tom Baker is such a vastly outsized personality, such a vastly outsized performance. So having a low-key story to introduce a new companion, I can understand if the story is sort of pushed into the background and, and the main sort of focus is maybe the interaction between the characters or, you know, some witty banter or some drama or some tension or something. But we don't really get that. The, the story seems quite invested in, in this sort of this sort of gangster runaround. And it's a very unremarkable gangster runaround. Um, but it's but the plot is kind of up front. It's not just kind of like a background plot ticking away whilst we get to introduce um, this new character. And like for all the faults um, that Charlie's first story had, um, you know, the, the, the all the stuff on the R101 and all that kind of stuff, it was basically just a bit of background detail whilst Charlie and the Eighth Doctor got to know each other and so that was fine it didn't really matter that it wasn't like a the you know the biggest or most dramatic story in the world and that's sort of that's kind of the weird mismatch here i think is that we needed a story either that had a real punch if you're going to go for it like a plot driven story for for uh for Anne kelso's first introduction it needs to be like a big punchy plot or you just need a small plot that ticks away in the background whilst you really focus on your characters. But it's exactly the opposite way around. We've got a kind of mediocre plot that it just really isn't all that important. And the character never gets the opportunity to really sort of come out front and, and sort of lead from the front. Yeah, I think that is a great way of putting it. I mean, yeah, it's just not 
a good introduction for the character. It's, she's just not, you just don't see what makes her so special as to be a companion for the Doctor. And I talk about being a standard police story. It's interesting because the writer of this is Andrew Smith, who wrote Full Circle. And then going off the TARDIS wiki here, um, then joined the police force for five years before retiring and then coming back to write for Big Finish. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a supposedly a good, interesting angle is that this was informed by his time on the police force. He could bring specificity to it. But there's not much specificity here. Like, it's, it's a very standard police story. Yeah, exactly. You would think somebody... Like, that's the, it's the same with Robert uh, Robert Holmes. He worked in the police before he wrote to Doctor Who, and he could bring a certain degree of specificity to stories which were mm. kind of involved in that way. But there's just something... There's just something lacking here. And, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit... I feel like I'm going to start repeating myself now. But, yeah, like, she's practical, uh, Anne Kelso, and she's open-minded. But that's that's kind of it. There's, but th- those aren't attributes which are particularly useful in this story. Um, I mean... I mean, the whole, we have the dead shopkeeper, and we have a bit of alien tech, and, and, and whatever. But it's all very, sort of, just there. And... Of course, as I mean, this is certainly not a, a sin which is unique to this story. It's it's true of uh, Di Menzies, and it's, it's certainly true of Yaz. Um, but there's absolutely no interest. In, this this story has absolutely no interest in sort of analyzing what it might mean for a sort of you know such a an anti-authoritarian figure as the Doctor to travel with somebody who is literally a representation of authority. Um, again, you you know, there's there's potentially fertile ground there. There's some interesting angles that, that you might be able to explore. Now, like I say, that's not a unique fault to this story. Oh, Mike, I would love them to be able to do that with Yaz on TV. But that's, <laughs> there's no sign of that happening happen now, and I don't suppose there'll be much sign of it happening in the future either, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, that's what Big Finish is meant to be good at. It's meant to be good at sort of exploring these areas where you think, oh, I wish a TV show had done something with that. And here it is. Here's a perfect example. And, of course, they don't do anything with it. She's just some polis that travels with the Doctor, and that's it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I can't help but feel disappointed by that. That's a really great point. And this came out, like, month, like weeks after Resolution, so months after the introduction of Yaz. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... They're both the exact same problem, where both characters are as police officers. You wonder if that will like conflict with the Doctor, or maybe even he'll be close to them for the time with the unit. There's some sort of specificity from that job, and there's no specificity from that job. It's just flavoring without flavor. It's like the illusion of having an interesting point to that character, but there's not an actual point to having that in. There's nothing elaborated on or expanded upon. It's yeah, it's just a fact that is there about the character. And yeah, I, again, it's just so frustrating <laughs> when you have like I can't. I feel maybe it's unfair to compare this to other stories that are much better. But it I can't not compare Anne to the other four Doc Mains. I can't not compare her to the yeah, Menzies. Like which is. I mean, I know you're saying it doesn't really dig into Doctor being an authoritarian, but I think the character is so specific and well done as a cop character. It just makes these other ones we've been talking about seem so shallow in comparison. And yeah, when it's inviting those comparisons, it's just can't help but fall short. Well, yeah, and I don't think I think it's perfectly fair to um, have those comparisons there. If you're gonna have a two sort of police characters like this in Big Finish, in these kind of ranges. I mean, you know, you don't have to do that. So if you're going to have two original characters who are companions for the Doctor, who have the same occupation, it's it's perfectly valid, I think, to draw comparisons between them. If we had two people who were, oh, I don't know, carpenters that travelled with the Doctor at some point, you go, oh, well, that one was really good. And that, you know, it's just logical. Of course, you're going to end up comparing them. So... Um, yeah, I think that's kind of natural and, 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 and sort of valid. And to me, there's no doubt that Anne Kelso is, is not as good a character as, as D.I. Menzies is. Um, and sort of like, I, kind of, I want to say, well, we should move on from the characters now, but there's really not a lot to move on to. The Sinestrians themselves are very kind of... Um, I keep using the word generic, which I'll have to look up a synonym for the word generic, but they are 
that's what they are you know there's nothing terribly exciting about them and like this this sort of thing that they do uh, which i sort of alluded to earlier the way that they use um the way that they use empaths to take control of people and have them commit the crimes rather than them doing it them, themselves I mean, if you wanted to be super, super generous, which I don't, but if you wanted to be, you could sort of say, well, you know, you could draw an analogy. There's a sort of sci-fi equivalent of the crime world where, you know, like the the Mr. Biggs or whatever of the world or, or, you know, they don't get their hands dirty, but they get others to do their dirty work for them. So, you know, uh, you know, the big drug kingpins or whatever, don't go out selling stuff in the street corners and or whatever. You know, you, if you if you wanted to if you wanted to stretch a point, you could I guess you could kind of claim that that's what the sort of the empathic control of others is is going for but i think that's a very very generous interpretation i'm i'm not completely convinced you know this story is strong enough to sort of support that um and and sort of without that interpretation they're just some bad guys that's that's all the sinestrans are um unless you've unless you can think of something else about them no i mean I think it is like the short bunny hop over the low bar being the most interesting thing about the story is that whole Sinestrian brainwashing thing. And I think the best scene in the story is the doctor kind of convinced the goons that look at what you're holding. You're holding not guns, but like blaster rifles. You're using alien technology. But take a second and think about what you're doing. And I think that is a nice, it's a little unsettling. It's a little creepy. It's also a little cool. But like not much, not much is done without that side of one scene. This idea of, uh, yeah, just blindly taking orders and then before you can snap out, it's like, wait, how am I using this technology? I have no idea about. And then you get like a the one good character beat, like the main goon, I believe that is Jimmy, uh, gets when yeah. he's like, well, I don't care if the gun is a space ram, so I'm gonna shoot her anyways. And then another nice little moment where the doctor's like, are you holding it the right way? Takes it from him. Yes, you were. And that this gets a little cliche, but that is where it feels like the most deft and most grounded in like a character making a decision based on their personality, as opposed to just following plot beat to plot beat to plot beat. And so, yeah, I think that scene is kind of cool, and it's like the extent of their power is being cool, and then the rest of it is okay, and then they body snatch him, and then they're just the villains running around. It's just very boring. <laughs> Yeah, and the resolution to it isn't particularly exciting either. Yeah. That's it's it's a very weak kind of ending, and I, I I think like even if they are kind of generic aliens, if you can build up to some kind of drama at the far end of it, um, well, you know, a bit more than some people standing about on a roof, um, then you know, okay, fine, you can live with a bit of sort of generic, you know, run around in order to get you to your big kind of uh climax but the climax isn't big it just sort of you know well we filled our two episodes now so we'll defeat the bad guys and then uh, back to the tardis and that's it it's it's very well i think the thing is is, i was gonna say it's very bland it it is but it, it you can get away with that if there's a sense of drama or if there's a sense of build or if there's but there isn't and nobody seems like even the doctor doesn't seem all that bothered mm. And that's a big problem. Like normally, especially if you have uh, like a generic runaround, if you've got somebody like Tom Baker as the Doctor, you know, because he's such a big personality, he can overcome, you know, a lot of genericness if he invests in it. If he really kind of goes for it and 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 makes us believe that you know these sort of silly alien gangsters are are like going to prove a genuine threat to whatever. Okay, fine, you can get away with that, you can do that, but Tom doesn't really seem that mm-hmm. fussed either. He's kind of, I don't want to say he's checked out, that's too thats too harsh, but he's just turning in, like, standard Tom Baker performance TM. And and there's no, he, he's not building anything up to the drama. Um, I don't think any of the gangsters are. I, you know, Anne Kelso can't provide that kind of dramatic thrust. And so by the time we get to the end, that's all it is. It's just kind of the end. Yeah. I mean, Tom Baker especially off of these two stories, um, speaking just in a vacuum, a big finish, speaking just in a vacuum, a big finish. I think he's the doctor I am least enthused to see show up in a big finish story, which I, I don't think that's that much actors to say. Like, I'm not dissing his TV work, which is, of course, legendary, but he, yeah, he just, and part of that is also, fourth, as we've discussed plenty of times on this podcast, the writing for fourth doctor story is just for whatever reason, 
always seems to just not be quite on the level as doctors five through eight get, or even 10, and the few times he's shown up. They just always seem to be the more generic and bog standard stories. And so there's not much for Tom Baker to rise to. But yeah, that's also just, yeah, I've never been as blown away by Tom Baker as some of the other uh, doctors perform. And this is exactly why, is because he's given generic material, he turns into generic performance, he cashes his check. And I can't blame him, again, because the writing of this is so uninspired. But it just sort of adds to the whatever soup of both of these stories. Yeah, and to sort of loop round to sort of where we started, it's, it, it's just additionally frustrating because this is exactly what I feel Big Finish should be doing with the Fourth Doctor. They should be, you know, exploring new parts of his world. He was, you know, Tom Baker was the Doctor for longer than anybody else. There's plenty of parts of his world, plenty of parts of his universe that, um, you know, are, are worthy of spending time in and giving him a new companion is a great idea. I'm absolutely rock solid behind that as a concept. But if you're going to do it, you can't then do it and then just, you know, like turn out um, the same generic stories that we've had in the previous uh, seven seasons. And like, OK, I, knew, I appreciate that we haven't covered all of those. And obviously there's been one or two stories which we have genuinely managed to, to sort of appreciate. But it's just so frustrating to see the ideas the the you know the fact that big finish are, are sort of doing the right thing at long last with this range by trying to have this new companion and then just not having that be effective and i don't think it's unfair to say you know well they managed it with evelyn or they managed it with Aramam when other doctors you know fifth doctor sixth doctor have been given these other companions hex with the seventh doctor or whatever you know those have been successful not everyone will work but it's just like this is the first time this is the time they needed to get it right and they didn't yeah and that's it i just yeah they didn't get it right they just went on autopilot again and this is like maybe the worst time to go on autopilot like i said big finish is such a talent with making new companions back when it first in that first decade of big finish stories and now it seems that they've just lost that touch. They don't know how to make an, a new interesting character anymore. I don't know. Maybe there's some I haven't encountered yet. I, I guess, yeah, some of the later Eighth Doctor companions, which I, I haven't listened past the Eighth Doctor Adventures, so but the companions from Dark Eyes and Ravenous from whatever, I understand people have a lot of fondness for. So I, I won't make that soon statement. But it definitely seems like Anne Kelso is a weird outlier, where... Big Finish usually gets really good at coming with these unique and interesting companions for the Doctor. And this is not that. She is not unique. She's not interesting. And I'm sorry, I'm now seeing on this note here that she was, Jane uh, Slavin was chosen to be a companion and written to be a companion because apparently she's done a lot of fourth documentary stories and had a track of a friendship with Tom Baker. And that's sweet. And, but, yeah, you just it feels like a disservice to her then if you want her to sort of reward her for being in the sort of big finish trenches for so long and turning in like a over a dozen or so performances and lots of different stories, you'd give her a character worthy of her sinking her teeth into and not only worthy of autopilot. And again, that's sort of what I'm saying about both the doctor and Anne in these stories, is they're only worthy of autopilot performances. They don't reward extra effort being put into them so why would they well yeah i mean i think that's probably a, a you know a sort of a perfect summary um i think we can probably leave it there for the um well <laughs> sadly disappointing sinestrin kill um and let's move on to the sadly disappointing planet of the drashigs um kev would you care to give us a summary uh it's jurassic park with drashigs <laughs> there is a billionaire he's having drashigs on a farm uh, there's an inspector coming to shut the park down because someone has been injured. So he gets this Jurassic World with Drashigs, which is even worse. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, there is like a tech and then his right-hand woman. She is sort of psychically linked to the Drashigs and experiments this billionaire is doing to sort of uh, want to sort of live with the Drashigs and feel what it's like to be a Drashig. And because of that mental link, the Drashigs then gain human intelligence and start rampaging around the park and the doctor has to evacuate everyone and they escape. The end. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, that's that's uh, that's it. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. No, no, yeah. I suppose we have to. Uh, I suppose we have to go a bit further into it than that. Um, but what? Although, is there, yeah, what is there further to go into? I mean, I think we sort of <laughs> shot ourselves in the foot talking about so general terms on the Sinestrian Kill section with like Fourth Doctor in both these stories and Kelso in both these stories. Because then when you go to here and we have to talk about specifics of Planet of the Drash Eggs, what specifics? It's a lot <laughs> of the same problems and not a lot of. Like, it's competent, but there's nothing interesting. Well, I think one of the questions I would like to ask is, why the Drashigs? Um, even if you think they're like a, a, a classic monster, um, which, you know, okay, they're, they're, they're as good as you could possibly hope for the special effects to have been in the early 70s when they turned up in um, Carnival of Monsters. Fine. And, you know, like this, the sort of roaring sound effects, which we noticeably don't get here, um, were well done, again, for the early 70s. Um, and that's all fine. But there's just such a... But what is the point of this about including the Drashigs? And, like, the thing is, like you said, well, it's, it's you know, Jurassic World, but uh, but with Drashigs, which is 100% accurate and an, an excellent summary of this story. Um but it's not like the story is actually trying to riff on like Jurassic World or it's not like it's trying to, you know, do anything with the sort of source material by integrating it into the Doctor Who universe. OK, we get to find out there are there are different types of Drashig. That's like a, that's a very small thing, but that's a nice idea. Like like there are, you know, dozens of different breeds of dogs. We get different breeds of Drashigs. Okay, fine, but it's just such an and, and they don't do anything with it. There's like there's no conservation message here or environmental message, which would at least help to link back to kind of like you know so much of the Third Doctor's era, which embraced that sort of approach. Although it's not really an approach which the Fourth Doctor had any connection to particularly, but but. You know, you could see that there there might be a some sort of connection or parallel there, but that's not present. Um, and so for the rest of it, what is the point in having a story based around, an audio story based around a monster whose only distinctive feature was what they looked like? I don't get it. I mean, yeah, it's baffling. <laughs> I mean, the best <laughs> thing I can come up with is... Someone wanted to do a Jurassic Park slash world riff and then reverse engineered. What is a way we can, if we can't use dinosaurs and creating a new alien would just be confusing so people wouldn't know what they looked like. What if we just slot Drashigs in there and that way there's some sort of visual reference as you imagine all this happening. That's the most charitable read I can give for why this <laughs> makes sense. It's very charitable. It's very charitable, and the more likely answer is some writer uh, just wanted to do a drashing story for whatever godforsaken reason. Or some producer yeah. hired someone to do a drashing story because Nicholas Briggs loves him so much. I don't know, but it's none of it makes much sense. You know what I've really felt has been missing in Doctor Who? I've really missed those scenes where we get to see K9 plugged in and charge up. <laughs> wow, I've I that's just like that this story just so scratched my watching K9 charge up itch, you know? That was just such a great inclusion. I was thrilled beyond words to be able to get those scenes. And we get so many of them. We get it. K9 takes a long time to charge up. And we just we waste minutes and minutes of sort of um time with this kind of, oh, it's so meaningless. It's just like, oh, I don't get it. It's just like, why are you doing this? And, you know, like, like the only reason K9 is in this story, as far as I can establish, beyond sort of basically, basic sort of plot functions, like he shot the Drashiks at one point or whatever. Beyond that, the only reason I think K9 is in this story is so that we can establish that this follows on from the invasion of time, so the Doctor has built K-9 Mark II, rather than following on from the Deadly Assassin, which are the two sort of periods where the Doctor was sort of clearly didn't have a companion with him and he was travelling alone. That's it. Now, that is not a good reason <laughs> to to try a good somebody. It's a terrible reason. And I just don't... I, oh, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, it's so... It's so pointless. Why is why is K9 in this? It it makes no sense at all. And it's like it's, I'm not in any way 
disrespecting John Leeson, who who seems you know to be a fabulous individual, and he's as good as he always is doing canine. But just what's the point? I wish I had an answer, but <laughs> I wish you had an answer I mean, too. Beyond beyond just like the very pessimistic answer of land fan service, but I think that's what we just have to go with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's just. Again, like Sinestrian Kill, there is one interesting idea, one interesting scene where you have this character of a, like Vanessa who is like has a psychic link to the Drashigs and like she's feeding them human information of like how to operate the telepad and where people are. And so there's an interesting dynamic where, uh, yeah, the doctor has to keep information from her because she will accidentally mentally link it leak it to these trash eggs and that means there's sort of like mystery around that and there's a kind of terrifying scene where she is like trying to mentally control the trash eggs and said they overwhelm her and she dies and like these are all with better execution could be good ideas <laughs> as they stand <laughs> but just the rest of the story is so dull and I mean, also, it just it's just not very inspiring performance. It's not a very inspiring plotted out. They it just feels like stuff they happen, and it's not given the weight that these could be interesting ideas could have. And I think that's just the main problem here. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. And uh, you know, when it, when it comes to these um, creatures, and when it comes to the, the Drashigs themselves, we we get a bit more kind of detail about them as as sort of um their species so the fact that they hunt in packs or the fact that they're you know they 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 have a a sort of social aspect to them i suppose you would say you know they eat together whatever um and the way that that's developed could like if you really wanted to explore a species i suppose that's you you know there are sort of initial building blocks there but i don't feel that anything is really done with them well i agree with you i think um I think those scenes where she's being overwhelmed, um, and and we sort of we, we sort of get to appreciate the the genuine power, I suppose, of of, of the Drashigs is that's that's relatively effective. Um, and then we have the Doctor sort of doing the same thing, trying to not become overwhelmed by them. And that kind of that pushes Tom Baker's performance a little bit. I think again, for most of this box set, he's pretty much an autopilot. But once he's got at that point where he's sort of being overwhelmed, or he's trying not to be overwhelmed by the by the Drashigs and and their minds, his performance does step up a little bit. Not a great amount, if I'm being honest, um, but it does it does improve a bit, um, and that gives it somewhere to go. So it, it, at least that, like I was saying for the previous story, which doesn't build at all, it just sort of stops. There is a build here. We get a dramatic death. We get a character sort of sacrificing their lives because of these kind of unethical experiments, um, which is sort of yeah, it's relatively standard Doctor Who fare, but it's fine. It, at least it's an actual sort of dramatic conclusion. At least there are consequences to what have gone on in the previous sort of episode and a half or whatever. Um, uh, although a lot of that, it takes the Doctor and Anne Kelso so long to get involved in the story as well. You know, they sort of slog through some marshland and then eventually find a, a teleport and, uh, you know, arrive at the action about five minutes before the, the first episode ends. It's just such a waste of time. But anyway, um, you know, by the time, you know, once things actually get moving, at least this story does have like a proper conclusion. There are consequences to what happens. There's, there's a meaningful, you know, end result to what's going on. It's not much, but it's something. Yeah, yeah, and... Like, it just does feel weird to be so critical. Like, this is, like, probably the harshest I've ever been on, like, a C or C-plus story <laughs> on this podcast. But just because, and we've talked about this again, but it is such, like, a setup that is fumbled. And, and it's not even fumbled in an interesting or fascinating way, like, say, The Rapture. It is just fumbled by being generic. And it there's no... Like, none of these stories outside of the story, the plots themselves, the log lines are generic. But, like, the setup of a new commander of the fourth Doctor, or the setup of, like, just these new possibilities are just so fumbled. And then, I don't know, you just wonder, we could have, like, no disrespect to James Levin again, but we could have had Louise Jameson in these stories instead. And that would have been that much better just because Leela is already a more fleshed out character than this. Painfully generic Anne, who again in Planet of the Drashigs is just 
she does her part. She does the companion-y things. She runs around. She uses intuition. Like, again, like, the one interesting thing about her character is that she, after the doctor tells Candy to stay behind, she's like, we could use this dog. Can I fill it or follow me from a distance? But, like, so many companions could have done that. That's the problem, is that anything interesting she does, I can name probably five other companions who would also do that. I, there's no reason for it to be Anne Kelso. And I think that's, honestly, if you're doing this as, like, a favor or a sort of reward for Jane Slaven for, like, her loyalty and her friendship with Tom Baker, what a disrespect to that if you're just getting to give her the most generic companion possible and not really let her shine. Well, yeah, and, you know, the thing about her in this story is that she seems remarkably uninterested in the fact that she's travelled to an alien planet. Yeah. And, like, we've had companions that have sort of complained about it before or whatever. I suppose Tegan is an obvious example. Um, but she just really... She just could not care less that she's, like, striding around an alien planet. Especially in that first episode, all she does is moan that it's wet or that they're not doing anything or whatever. Can't we go back? And I was promised a spaceport or something like that. It's just very... The story doesn't do anything to kind of endear us to the character. It's like she asks a lot of questions in this, in, mm. in both these episodes. And that's fine, because she's a police officer. That's what police officers do. They ask questions and they try and gather information and they try and gather evidence or whatever. So that's logical. But the way that it sort of works when you're actually listening to it is it's just incredibly annoying. She doesn't... She's not really interested. Most of her questions are sort of slightly offhanded or a little bit sarcastic or a little bit, ooh. It's just very, you know, there's no attempt to make us, to make the, to endear us to the character. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And like even Tegan, like Tegan was meant to be prickly. She was meant to be a difficult character. So when she was asking awkward questions or sort of belittling the doctor or whatever it was, that was clearly part of her specific characterization she was annoying and and grumpy and that was what she was whereas that's not meant to be the case with Anne that's not what she is but that's still how she comes across anyway and so any attempt to kind of establish her as a, an interesting character or, or somebody that you know as the audience we are supposed to invest in or, or care about is immediately wasted while she spends one episode just going I want to be here and that's not a way to launch a character and I mean Tegan's great example because this is what I was going to say is like asking questions is part of the companion's job. It's in the job yeah. description. <laughs> All companions ask questions, but Tegan asking question has such different layers to it than Leela asking question, than Ace, than Rose and Clara. They're all what the questions they ask, the kind of questions they ask, what they're interested in, what amazes them, what annoys them is so varied and interesting. After two stories, I mean, it's unfair because it's just two stories over two hours. But I have no sense of what Anne Kelso finds interesting, finds annoying. Like, what's specific to her? What is, makes her personality tick and what makes her interesting? In a way, I was, like, when Anne Kelso asks a question, it doesn't reveal anything about her the way it would for any of the other characters. And like I said, I guess it might be unfair to do it off of two stories, but A, two stories is all we have at this point. And B, um... I feel like all those companions left a much more indelible imprint after their first story. That's something Doctor Who has very consistently usually had great talent in, is making these characters feel very distinct after spending just a short time with them. And, and this is just a rare case when Doctor Who as a medium really whiffs that. Well, and I think one of the things with a lot of the characters that Big Finish originate uh, when it comes to companions is that they're often written in very broad sweeps. Uh, in their introduction story and then gradually as we spend time with them that kind of gets refined down um, until we kind of get to an understanding of the character again like I, I talked about sort of Charlie um, earlier on um, and in Charlie's first story she is all gee whiz jolly hockey sticks oh come on doctor da -da 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 -da. you know she's right really up and 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 you know the performance is part of that and the writing is part of that and I think sometimes it, it actively tips over into quite annoying. Um, but we have an absolutely clear idea of who Charlie is by the end of her first story. Uh, she's the Edwardian adventurous and she's sort of, you know, plucky and, and, and she'll take risks and, you know, she'll do it for the right reasons and all the rest of it. But, we you know, 
they are broad sweeps, but they let us get a handle on the character. And then gradually, as we go through that sort of first Eighth Doctor season, we start to get shading. We start to understand a little bit about our history. We start to understand that her reaction to the world of the Doctor is very different from, say, a 20th century companion or a 21st century companion, um, because she comes from that earlier time. She doesn't understand some technologies or whatever. And that allows us to build up these layers of understanding about the character. And that's just not what we have here. There isn't any layers. It would be lovely to be able to say, oh, well, you know, it's only two stories. And, you know, at the end of two stories, hey, well, we, we know that Anne Kelso loves a, a bottle of wine or we, we know that Anne Kelso loves a, a curry on a Friday night or we know that she's, you know, fascinated by Netflix documentaries or something. We don't, we don't get any of that. We have absolutely no idea of who this character is outside of the exact exact lines that she is delivering towards the Doctor. There's no sense of a broader character, there's no sense of a home life, there's no sense of a personality. Um, and so, if if those other companions, it's true of Aramem, it's true of Evelyn as well, they, they, they get these kind of big sweeping introductions. If it's something that worked with all them and it doesn't work here, I think it's very easy to see where the lack lies. And then I think it's important to point out this disclaimer. Um, is impossible to go on the Doctor Who wiki and look up anything about Anne Kelso and realize there is more going on to the character. I don't think JG has, but I have, I mean, I'm very, I don't give a crap about spoilers. So I've just, like, sure, let me just click on Anne Kelso's link. Oh, there's a big spoiler about her right in the opening paragraph. Okay, so I understand going forward about the story is there is more going, that's going to happen to this character that maybe will make her more interesting. But we're not, I'm just saying that to cut off letters going, oh, but you're being unfair to her because it's of all this that happens later. But what we're here to do is talk about the first two stories. And I think that's a failing if you don't make that character interesting from the jump. And it's also probably a failing if the only thing interesting about that character is a twist that happens to her later. And we can, we might, where we might never get to it, <laughs> given that all that <laughs> these stories. But if we do um, ever get to that, we'll react to that as we get to it. I, I'm just saying that just to cut off. I can feel people uh, rushing to the keywords to give us that reminder. And just as a reminder to listeners who might feel that way, even if there is more going on, this is what we have to deal with in these two stories, the ones that we're talking about right now. And even if there is more to the character, they should still set her up better. There should still be more interesting to her. You should. That's not something you kick down the line, making the character interesting. That's something that should be up front in order to you know make us interested in these stories yeah and and we're not <laughs> that's yeah. that's a bit of a problem um and you know i think you know when it comes to sort of zooming out slightly but when it comes to the fourth doctor range you know i, I, I really hate having to say this because i love tom baker of course i do and i really really want these things to be you know, successful. I want them to be good. And it, it hurts to be sitting here sort of saying, well, ah, you know, this one's mediocre and that one's mediocre. And the last one that we covered that was Tom Baker was mediocre. And the one before that was kind of mediocre. I don't, I don't like sitting here saying this. I want to be positive. So I, I want to make it clear that, you know, we're not just being negative for the sake of it. it it's not that, you know, I'm, down, I'm not down in the range. I'm not down in the... Tom, I'm not down on any of that stuff. I want this stuff to be good. And it isn't. And that's incredibly frustrating because there is so much kind of talent involved and there's so much, um, you know, ability behind all of this. And like the the Anne Kelso, the, the, the fact that there's something else going on with Anne Kelso, um, we're two stories in now and there's nothing at all to indicate that. Now, I don't... Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we knew two stories in with Charlie that something was wrong with time um, and that she played some kind of significant role or she was going to perform some kind of significant role going forward in The Doctor because there was, uh, there was a problem with time in the universe. Even if it was just like a couple of lines, there was something to indicate yeah. that there was something going on with Charlie's character that would make you think, ah, Okay, that could be interesting. I'll keep listening because there's gonna there's nothing 
in Anne Kelso to suggest that she's anything other than what she is. So the fact that there's going to be like a revelation further down the line or whatever doesn't excuse how bland she is in these stories because we're not given any reason to suspect, oh, maybe there's something behind this. Maybe there's a, an intentionality or, or something else going on. No, she's, she's just kind of dull. Um, and so, you know, it's the same thing. We've, we've seen this done in Big Finish and we've seen it done better in Big Finish. So even with that kind of the caveat that there's going to be a revelation further down the line, it it still it still doesn't work. And with with the fourth Doctor range, I'm now sort of at the point. I, again, I hate to say this, but it's like, how often can you have your heart broken? You know, I want these ranges to be good, but they're just they they're always the same. And it's just it's it's sad. It's really sad, and it's a bit dispiriting because I don't I don't want to be sitting here saying this. I want to be going, oh man, that was great. Oh, that was so fantastic. But there's, I just can't. Mm. Yeah, and even. I, I don't know if there was much more going on with Charlie's introduction than the Doctor saying, maybe I shouldn't be doing this in Storm Warning. But yeah, there is like a point, even without the idea this is more down the line for Charlie, in the official is just a magnetic performance. Charlie is mm. such an interesting character. Like, there's so much specificity to Charlie and how she acts, how she talks, how she interacts with other characters. Again, the questions she's asking of the Doctor, the attitude she has. There's so much interesting about Charlie, from right from the jump in Storm Warning. I mean, like, disguising yourself as a boy and hiding him on an airship because you're going on an adventure to see your uh, lover in Singapore is just way more interesting than she's a cop, she got stuck up in things, she's traveling in the TARDIS. <laughs> I mean, that just the log line alone, you get it. And you can do that with every big finisher, you can do it with most other companions in general. That there is like a logline to them that is fascinating. And with Anne, like if they're expecting me to wait until halfway or to the end of the box set to get to that interesting logline, that's a mistake. A huge mistake. And there's gotta be something up front. And I just there's nothing up front here. It's just such like a placeholder, it feels like. And that's so frustrating. I think a frustrating placeholder is probably an absolutely perfect summary of uh, of these two stories. And with that, I think we can uh, probably leave it there for these two stories. Now, um, obviously, as we've been discussing, we know that there's going to be more going on with Anne Kelso uh, than what we've had in the two episodes that we've covered. But given the sort of relative lack of quality of these two stories, I am not massively feeling a desire to carry on with this season of, of, of Fourth Doctor stories because it's just been a bit kind of meh. So um, what I'd like to do is sort of throw it open to our listeners. If you think that this box set is worth pursuing uh, or that we're being brilliantly unkind towards this, this story, maybe it has a brilliant conclusion, maybe the last two stories are the best things Big Finish have ever produced. I don't know. Um, but if our listeners would like us to carry on with this story, give us a shout, um, drop us an email, send us a tweet or whatever, um, and we'll consider it. I think of the strength of these two stories, I can't say that I'm massively enthusiastic to go on. But if we're given a good reason or if somebody has a passionate defense of these stories, then we're always open-minded um, and we're always prepared to listen to our listeners and, and sort of take their advice on board. So sort of with that in mind, Kev, would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Sure. You can send us an email about that topic or any other topics related to Doctor Who, be it audio or otherwise, or just other things you want to hear us talk about in our mailbag section. Email us at talkingwhotoyou at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at talkingwhotoyou. You can find me on Twitter at Kev Kozer, K-E-V-K-O-E-S-E-R. You can find more of JG's writings at www.jgmcquarrie.scott. That is J-G-M-C-Q-U-A-R-R-I-E dot Scott. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and whatever podcatcher you use to help other people find it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And as always, we look forward to hearing from you. Now, we can leave it there this week, I think, and we will be back next time. And that next time, we are going to be travelling with the Eighth Doctor again, which is going to be something of a relief after this week. So next week, we're going to be doing Blood of the Daleks, which means at long last, we are going to be having the pleasure of the company of Lucy Miller. And we're very, very much looking forward to discussing her and the Eighth Doctor's first story with her. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking.